Let me pray for us. Father, help us, even as that song has reminded us, to truly place our lives in your hand, to trust that you are, to turn to you in ways that allow you to be much more active in our lives today, this week, than maybe we even allowed this past week. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the possibilities of what you can do if we would trust you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider God's appeal to his people in Isaiah through the prophet. He says, remember not the former things. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This was the passage that I preached the first Sunday that I began serving as pastor June the 6th, 2004, here at North Fort Worth Baptist Church. And it was an important passage, not just because it was the first Sunday, but it was an important passage because of how it spoke to my own heart in preparation for that day. Let me explain what I mean. Prior to my coming on June the 6th, the, the church had gone through an extended interim. In fact, the interim without a pastor stretched three years in length. And regrettably, during that period of time, the church experienced a great number of challenges. They had various meetings and discussions, and sometimes conflict uh, arose out of those discussions. And if you go back, what began to happen during that three-year period of time is the church began to, to lose a large percentage of her membership. Close to half her membership, in fact, uh, began to attend other places and to become involved in other churches. And so when the church uh, invited me to come in view of a call to potentially serve as pastor, there were a lot of questions on my heart. Uh, Lord, is, is this something that you want me to do? I grew up in this church, so I have a, an emotional identification with this church, and, and certainly there, there's a love, there was a love in my heart for it, but Knowing what the church had gone through, I really was honest with God. Is this what you want me to do? And many of you have been a part of our series in recent weeks where we were talking about discovering God's will. God began to lead me in my heart as I prayed about it to say yes to come. I mean, if you really want to discover God's will, what you need to do is ask him. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to approach that? And he began to make it clear to my heart that, yes, he would have me to come and serve as pastor. But that didn't relieve some of my anxiety because of the challenges that I saw. I mean, the church had not only declined in numbers, often what follows that is the church was in a little bit of a financial bind, if you can imagine. And so I'm wondering to myself, okay, God, I know you're asking me to, to... to come to the church, but are you sure? I mean, am I able to do what's needed for this church at this point in her history? 
Once again, God confirmed, yes, I want you to go. And in the midst of my prayerful discussions, God highlighted these two verses on my heart. He impressed the words of hope that these verses reveal to my heart concerning our church. And I realized, oh, okay, so as I go, you've got this, that it's in your heart to do a work that's not related to me, it's related to you. And so on that first Sunday, I shared this passage with the church. I encouraged the church to realize that he very much had a plan and a purpose for us as we were making our way forward together. And early on, if you visited with us back in those earlier years, we would give you a gift where we would uh, uh, have these two verses put uh, decoratively in a frame and we would send that home with you. And what that was doing was reminding me and our church that it's God, the one, God is the one who leads us. God is the one who provides for us as we seek to move toward the future that he has for us. And I can sincerely say over the past 14 years, we've seen the faithfulness of God as he's provided, as he's encouraged. Now, we've had both successes and failures. I'm not pretending that we've not had some failures along the way. But one thing that we've discovered throughout is the testimony of these two verses is true. That God is the one that makes the difference if his people will follow him. In fact, I'm curious, uh, looking out at us this morning, if you were a member of our church, attending our church back in 2004, uh, would you be willing to stand? I just want to have those of you that are with us. If you were a part of us back in 2004, okay. Now, for those of you that are standing, thank you for being a part of what... No, remain standing for a moment. Thank you for being a part of what God has brought us through. You've seen the journey that we've made, you've, uh, you endured some of those real personal challenges uh, during that interim period of time, and your faithfulness has been a, an important element of bringing us to where we are in 2018. But as you're standing, look around you, and notice with me that our church is always in the process of becoming. We're always in the process of moving toward the future that God has for us. And so one of the challenges we, we make have sometimes is when we look at our present is we, we just kind of look at what we can see. We don't always anticipate what will come. And what's exciting, I think, and, and by the way, in the first service is about a 50% difference. It's a much uh, different makeup. But still, overwhelmingly, those that make up our church today were not with us on June the 6th, 2004. And that's a testimony to how God works through his church. Thank you, you may be seated. But this morning we come to, I think, a pretty pivotal period of time as a congregation. As Caleb mentioned, starting tonight and over the next two weeks, we're going to host eight special meetings where uh, you have been invited to come and sit down and think about and reflect on some potential steps we might take as a church family toward our future. Steps which, in a direct way, affect our facility. What's going to be proposed is a renovation of the worship center 
which will move us out of the gym altogether and into a space that will effectively support both the traditional and the contemporary service. And at the same time, the plan seeks to address the need for a dedicated children's space where we would potentially expand our preschool building out in a way that would allow us to accommodate all of our children's ministry in a singular area. Now that's a part of what we're discussing and starting tonight we'll begin to talk about it, think about it, pray about it. But it's obvious as we enter into this time of discussion that it's a critical time of decision. And as we would consider what we should do, it's at that point that I believe the two verses that God encouraged me with back in 2004 remain just as relevant, just as timely in 2018. And that's why I brought these verses to your attention again today. Listen to them again from the standpoint of what God may say to the North Fort Worth Baptist Church on this particular Sunday. Through the prophet, God says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. These words were initially spoken through the prophet Isaiah to God's Old Testament children of Israel. He speaks these words to them prophetically in a time frame where, where they have experienced hardship. In fact, these verses are directed to a people in exile, far from where they wanted to be, forced to now live in the land of Babylon where they did not want to reside. And yet God, through the prophet, appeals to them. As we would consider his appeal, I want you to appreciate that what he reveals about himself, the Lord, is just as true in 2018 as it was when he, he spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And so there's, there's a timely relevance to what he would have to say. But as you listen to his appeal in these two verses, what is it that he's asking his people to do? Well, let's think about it for a few moments. First, he asked his people to stop living in the past. That's where he starts. Would you agree with me? It's almost human nature to be nostalgic. You know, as we grow up in life, we develop kind of an emotional attachment to things and experiences that we've had in the past. And sometimes because of that, those experiences define what we do in the present. I mean, many of you developed your taste in music at an earlier time in your life, and now, many years later, you still love that particular style of music. Many of you developed a particular taste for food or various activities earlier in your life, and the longer that you live nostalgically, you still kind of go back to those same experiences, those same pursuits. Now, I have to Admit, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. One of the things that I'm not nostalgic for from that time frame were hairstyles <laughs> or even clothing styles. 
none of you will remember the leisure suit, which was a very brief fad uh, back in the 70s. But see, there are some things out of my past nostalgically I don't attach to at all, but there are some of my experiences that I can't help but be emotionally connected to. And potentially, because of those experiences, that then influences how I look at the present. It kind of uh, shapes my thinking about what I might do in the present. And I think it's beneficial for us to say on the front end that sometimes it's not the best thing to live out of the past. There are occasions where we need to stop that, admit that it's not to our advantage. One of the forces we have to resist with that is the tendency that we just like, we're creatures of habit. We like to do things the way we do them, uh, in the manner that we do them, and it's just comfortable to us. I mean, some of you have been seating, sitting in the exact same seat for how many weeks and months and years as we've gathered for worship. I mean, we're prone toward just kind of move, moving in the direction that was a part of the past. God, as he spoke to the children of Israel, was asking them to stop that. Now, in their case, you should realize he was really challenging them to stop reminiscing about the good days. He writes to a people that are in exile. They're not experiencing life in the way that they would prefer. And so when they think about things, they think about the past as the best of the best. Sadly, their conclusion was, their best days were probably behind them. And so God, as he speaks them to them through the prophets, says, no, that's not true. You need to stop living as if the best has already come and gone. In fact, listen to how strongly he words it. Go back, if you would, to verse 18. He says, remember not the former things. Don't think in those terms, nor consider the things of old. Don't conclude that where you are today, all you can do is kind of project a lesser experience into the future. God would say to his people of old, stop that. And I'm of, of the conviction God would say to his people today the same lesson. That there are points along the way we have to stop living in the past that it is not to our benefit or to our advantage to basically allow the past to define who we are today and who we will be tomorrow. Now, I say in the case of Israel, part of their struggle was they were thinking the past days were the best days. Some of you, that's not your challenge at all. When you think about the past, what you recall too vividly are your mistakes in the past. And when you look at your present, you can't really look at the present positively because you're allowing your past failures, your sin in the past, to so define who you are. You have no optimism about the present and certainly have little positive thoughts about the future. And so with you, it's not that the past is a good thing. The past is a bad thing, but the past has changed you to, to that experience in a way that you don't feel like you can move forward. Now, maybe there is a part of, of that with the children of Israel where they were still dealing with their past mistakes because the truth was they were in exile because of their sin. 
they found themselves in this situation, this hardship, because they had dishonored God. But God, even in that, offers hope. In Isaiah 43, a little further along in the passage, as God tries to reassure them, he, he readily acknowledges their neglect, but then he says this. Look at what he says in verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Now look at this testimony on the screen and consider how these words of hope are intended to address the regrets of your past. Sometimes there's no escaping the emotional shame and embarrassment and regret that we feel because of the bad choices that we've made. I'm not pretending that you can just push them out of your mind. I am, however, wanting you to realize that God's desire in the midst of the worst of our mistakes is to forgive us. That God's desire isn't to assign you to live out the rest of your days defined by that singular failure. Instead, His desire is to enable you to move beyond it. To stop living in the regrets of your past. And to do what he's doing on your behalf. Relating to you as if he's remembering those no more. My encouragement as we would consider God's testimony is, is it possible this Sunday in 2018, we need to just stop living in the past? whether the past represents the best of days or the worst of days, God would say, don't live there. In fact, the appeal that encourages me is God says that what we should do is to, to open our eyes to God's present. You're not going to live in the past. What you're going to do is open your eyes now and consider the present from God's perspective and live there. It should be said, again, the children of Israel were in exile. And if you looked at their present set of circumstances, it would have been really easy for them to be discouraged by the present. It would be really easy for them to be almost fixated on what was wrong, where they were not, where they would rather be. And in a way, their present was as much a problem as their past. They, they looked at their circumstances from their vantage point, and it wasn't good. God speaks to their situation, and he says, no. I'm not talking about how you perceive your present circumstances. I want you to open your eyes to my present with you. Listen to how that's worded again in verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? My first draft of the sermon actually had the second lesson being worded, uh, what we need to do is stop living in the past and start living in God's present. 
But the more I looked at it, the way God calls out to the people isn't just about starting to do something. It's about just beginning to open their eyes to something. He says, behold, open your eyes. Look at what I am doing. See what I am doing. And he expresses it in a way that's intended to inspire. He says, I want you to see that from the dry, arid earth, there can break forth a spring of life, a spring of water. Behold, it's right there in front of you. Open your eyes to my present that I have for you. And what God's trying to stress is he's doing something. He's working. Now, when I came back in 2004, in 2004, that especially was the word of encouragement that God impressed on my heart, that as I came to walk with the members that were uh, attending at that time, that what we needed to do was just open our eyes to what God was seeking to do, God's activity in the present. We couldn't go back and undo the past, but we could consider from God's perspective what he had for us now. We just had to open our eyes. If you have your Bible or you're following along in, in, uh, on your smartphone, go back, if you would, a little bit earlier to what precedes the 19th verse. Listen to how God kind of sets the stage for this. Verse 16 reads, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Let me interrupt the reading just to help you appreciate what God's trying to do. He's actually reminding the children of Israel of how he delivered their descendants generations earlier. They had once been captives in Egypt. Probably many of them thought to themselves, there's no way we will ever escape this hardship. And yet God provided the means for them not only to leave Egypt, but God dramatically defeated the army that was pursuing them. You've heard the story of how God parted the Red Sea and brought his people safely across only to decimate the army that pursued them. And what God does at this point is says, you know that. You're familiar with that story. You understand my ability to work. You've understood that testimony. Then he adds, remember not the former things, or consider the things of old. You say, well, that sounds contradictory. He says, here, you know what I've done in the past, but now he says, now, don't live there. Because his point is, he's, he's wanting them to realize if he had the power to do that in the past, does he not have the power and the ability to do what's necessary in the present? That's his appeal. Yeah, you know what I've done, but your best days have not passed you by. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Will you not, do you not, Perceive it. It really is perspective. I can look at my challenge, my hardship. As a church, we can look at the challenges in front of us, the, the obstacles, and we can allow our present 
simply be defined by our own conclusions, or we can open our eyes to God's present and realize even in this situation, he's trying to move us forward. Which brings me to the other way that I would express it. What God wants his people to do is to open their eyes to his presence. The difference that affects my understanding of the moment is my full awareness that God is with me in the moment. I think one of the consequences of living in exile, as the children of Israel did, is they concluded that maybe because of their challenges, their heartache, that that God had abandoned them. I mean, that's not too much of a stretch of our imagination, is it? I mean, how many times have you had a real serious disappointment and you jump to the wrong conclusion that God somehow has failed you or faltered or disappointed you, that he's not there because if he had been there, then these things wouldn't be going on. The Bible would actually say that oftentimes when we face life challenges, there's a lot going on that we don't fully comprehend. One thing you can be certain of is God's right there and that he wants to be the difference in the midst of them. I say that as strongly as I do because earlier in Isaiah chapter 41, as God's trying to appeal to this group of discouraged people, listen to what he says at verse 10. Now again, he's speaking to a group that have been disappointed by their circumstances, maybe questioning God's presence and activity. Verse 10 reads, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Of all the things that God could have said, probably the most timely message they needed to hear in the midst of their challenges was God saying, I'm right with you in the challenge. I'm right there. I've not abandoned you. Open your eyes. Now some of you can identify with this this need because you've had life experiences that have left you a little off balance, emotionally weak, and, and in the midst of it, what you needed to discover more than anything else was a fresh awareness of the presence of God. And my wife Debbie and I have had this type of experience over the last month. Uh, She went in about a month ago for one of her regular mammograms. And as a result of that, the uh, office called and said, well, we saw something suspicious. Would you come back? Well, we didn't want to hear that, but we thought, well, maybe it's just a shadow in, in the imaging. And so she went back and they did a much more thorough kind of a 3D imaging. And out of that, they said, we see a spot that concerns us. We think you need to have a biopsy because uh, something doesn't look quite right. Now, some of you ladies have experienced that type of of information, and and you know how immediately your mind starts to race. As Debbie's husband, my mind started to race. Oh, what does this mean? And so they scheduled a biopsy, and none of those things happened quickly. We, We had to wait two weeks for the biopsy finally to be scheduled and 
and on Thursday, uh, we went into the office. And, and we're not going to lie, when you face these types of challenges, even as people of faith, the, the, the tendency is to sometimes allow our minds to project the worst, right? We imagine, well, what if this is cancer, and what will come as a result of that? And, and in the midst of all the, everything else that has been going on in our family, my wife was starting to think, you know what? Why now? And I can assure you what brought us through this experience over the last four weeks is the testimony of Isaiah 41.10 that in the midst of these challenges, God's with us. The problem isn't an indication of God's indifference or absence. We simply needed to open our eyes to God's presence and to know of his care. Well, on Thursday, we went in for the biopsy and Debbie went back as they were beginning the process. And halfway in, I got a text from her and, and she said, they can't find it. And I'm thinking, well, what? Uh, they want to do additional uh, imaging. And so, uh, as she later explained it to me, they went in, they uh, began a, a sonogram to identify uh, the potential area of concern so that they could remove the biopsy. But as the doctor was working with that, with the sonogram, he couldn't find it. And so they went back to the imaging from, from the earlier uh, testing, and they saw it there and went back. Sonogram couldn't be found. Uh, Debbie said, well, maybe God took it away. And the doctor said, well, maybe it was never there. And, and they said, well, let's just run some more tests. And so they gave her a very thorough workup in terms of some additional pictures. And from that, the doctor said, now, I, I see what was the original source of concern. But as we've looked at it much more closely now, there is no cause for concern. Uh, biopsy is not necessary uh, for a precaution. We'll bring you back in six months, but uh, really, we don't see a problem. Needless to say, on Thursday, our hearts were just soaring. I mean, wow, we don't even have to wait for the report from the biopsy. We knew that she's not gonna be facing the, the threat of cancer. And yet, what I want you to hear is this. What if the prognosis had been, the diagnosis had been, well, it is cancer. The promise of God is true with the good prognosis or the bad, that God's presence is where? With us. And the need in our lives as we face these challenges is to open our eyes to God's presence. And to be confident in God's capacity to meet the need, whatever the need might be. And I, I don't want to pretend that that's emotionally always an easy thing to do. But as a, a person of faith, is that not what we should do? And as a church family, as we look at a time of decision, as we evaluate the challenges around us, as we think about the future, where should our focus be? On the past? No, we don't live there. On the present, as we would make it out to be, no, we don't live there. We want to understand what's happening from God's perspective, assured of God's presence. In fact, let me take you back to, to the passage and, and look at it again as he seeks to reassure his people. In Isaiah 43, verse 19, what does he say? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness 
and rivers in the desert. See, he's asking them to open their eyes to his present, and then he directs them to do something. Now, what is it that he's asking them as a people of faith to do? Well, if you listen to verse 19, he's saying to them, I'm asking you to step forward with me, to step by faith toward the future I have for you. I want you to trust me here, is God's appeal. I want you to believe that as I'm with you, I can bring you to the place that I have for you. Just step out. Step forward. By faith, move toward the future that's mine. Now that appeal, I I think, really reveals a couple of things in terms of what God offers to supply. Notice, first of all, he says he wants them to anticipate his leadership. I will make a way, God said, in the wilderness. If you pulled out a map geographically, you'll notice that Babylon is far removed from Israel where the people wanted to be. And a lot of wilderness separated these two locations. How in the world would the people of God Get to the place that God had for them. What God says to them is this. Just mark it down. I will make a way where there is no way. You're not going to find a path in the wilderness on your own. But if you recognize my presence, I will show you the way. I will walk you forward. You can anticipate my leadership. I won't leave you confused. I will guide you bring you to the place that I have for you. Not to overstate the most recent series, but we've been spending weeks talking about how do we discover God's will. And one of the lessons I emphasized again and again is you ask Him. You come to God knowing that it's in His heart to lead you, to guide you. Now, I say that because starting tonight, we'll begin having these evening meetings. And these meetings are not intended to convince you to do something that we might potentially do. These meetings are to inform you so that as a people of faith, we do what? We begin to pray. And we begin to ask, now, God, is this what you want us to do? Is this how you would lead us? We can know this. He wants to lead us. He will show us a way where from our perspective there is no way. He will help us to recognize what he's asking us to do. See, this church doesn't function in a way where uh, a few individuals make the decision and the rest of us just kind of follow along. This is a congregation that believes God leads through the congregation. Certainly with leaders, he maybe brings to the surface some things to consider, but at the end of it all, what is needed is for the church herself to come to terms, to to know within their hearts, this is what God is asking us to do, or not. One thing I'm sure of is we can anticipate His leadership. He will provide a way in the wilderness. But the second emphasis is equally encouraging God would say to his people, you need to be assured of my provision. 
as I'm leading you in the way, I will provide rivers in the desert. It should be noticed that the way is singular. There's not multiple ways in the wilderness. There's a way. And we discover the way as we seek the presence of the one who leads us. But do notice where there's simply one way, there are many rivers. That is plural. So that as we're following his lead, he doesn't supply all that you need, one water source on the front end. His desire is to lead you in a way where you are confident at every point along the way where the water is necessary, what will you find? Rivers in the desert. That he is the source of sustenance for his people. And I would say that was true of the children of Israel as God would bring them back out of exile. As we think about who we are to God as the people of God, the church, you can be confident that his intention as he leads his people forward is to also provide the necessary rivers to sustain us. I'm not going to pretend as we talk about these future steps that we see all of the bodies of water in advance. I don't think we do. There will be certainly an element of faith where as we seek God's leadership, if he moves us forward, we're not going to see every little resource. What we will know is this, if he's leading us forward, what should we expect? He will be faithful. To provide. Over the past 14 years, our church has had periods where we've gone up, we've leveled, we've gone down, we've had experiences that have been both successful and disappointing. And yet one thing has been constant throughout, the faithfulness of the Lord. And if we as a people will simply come to him sincerely desiring to, to follow his lead, he will be faithful. And we can step forward in faith. Well, let me close. Where does this passage really take the people of God? Well, let me read again from verse 19, and I want to go further, and I want you to hear what, goes on, what God goes on to say. His appeal, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Verse 20, the wild beast will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, for I gave water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. What I want you to appreciate is God leads his people. God blesses even those beyond his people. As he's providing rivers to sustain his people in this journey, he begins to, to bless people that, that no one ever imagined. And I'm assured that as the people of God, as we follow him, as he leads us forward, you think we're going to bless ourselves alone? No. The fact is, we're going to bless people that none of us can even imagine. Could be argued back in 2004, as some of you stood a little bit earlier, you didn't imagine the people that God would bring across our path in the years that followed. But that should be our expectation. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. He says, I'm going to do all of this 
so that my people can once again experience my faithfulness so that out of their hearts, there just kind of overflows this doxology of praise that suddenly they just kind of swell up in praising the one who's brought them from where they were to the place that he had for them. That is what God intends to do. And so this Sunday morning, as we begin to prayerfully talk about things, do we not need to consider this testimony with fresh ears? It's likely somebody this morning entered in and the last thing they want to think about is some discussion involving building or construction because life for you is just hard right now. And you don't need to think about these things. Okay, set that aside. What do these verses say to you? There is a beauty, a timeliness to this message of hope that I think just moves in so many different directions if we would just hear them. So I leave you with his words, and then I pray. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful that you led me to this congregation back in 2004. I'm grateful that you placed these words of hope on my heart to give me a confidence then to step toward what you intended to do. Yet, dear God, as we stand where we are today, I, I pray these verses would extend the same encouragement and reassurance to us all. Lord, help us to look at our present and future, not by the past, let our present and future be defined by our awareness of your presence and the future that you would lead us to. So, Father, in personal and practical ways, just apply that to our hearts appropriately. Now, Father, I do pray for the person who's entered into our service today discouraged. Life has been hard. I pray these words would be a personal appeal to them. That they would open their eyes of faith, not thinking about what it means to this congregation, but they would just open their eyes of faith in terms of what it means to them right now. That you've not abandoned them. Your desire is to lead them through their current wilderness if they would just trust you and follow you. So, Lord, speak. You see where we are? Speak. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.